Uh, how, many, how many of you ever heard of this little ministry we have at the church called Pallets of Love? You've probably noticed there's pallets in the, in the room. It always seems to be pallets in the room. Uh, we're kind of like a warehouse. Um, a few weeks ago, we, we received a, a truckload. I believe it was 21 pallets. Each pallet weighed a ton of the oatmeal. Last Saturday, a week, a week from yesterday, we had two truckloads of the Chobani yogurt that came in, and many of you came down on that Saturday, and, and we gave it away. Well, this week, uh, on Wednesday, we received two truckloads that came in. Uh, how many of you know we're blessed? I mean, we are blessed. We had uh, two truckloads. I received a phone call um, earlier that week. I, I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday, but I received a phone call asked, asking if we wanted two truckloads from our local Staples warehouse uh, that had to do with um, everything from dry erase boards to toilet paper to paper, uh, chairs that were still in the boxes, uh, all kinds of different. This is the third time that Staples has done this. And, and so it all showed up. It was uh, 39 pallets, almost 20,000 pounds. That, that whole section was gone, and we pre-sorted it all. And so uh, we stocked up the church. We're blessed, so that's going to help in our budget this year. And uh, so I, I was praying, and I got on the phone Thursday morning, and I called a lot of our private schools, our Christian schools, you know, like Hope Lutheran and some others in the area, charter schools, and we blessed them. Let me tell you guys, it was, it, we, Bonneville County Jail came and they took two pallets of the alcohol wipes. What an awesome thing it is to be able to bless our community like that. We, God is just, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to share that with you because we obviously didn't go live. We didn't have a big massive giveaway because, uh, you know, it was a little bit more direct and it was really neat to meet a lot of our uh, local uh, people doing God's work in some of our local schools, and what a blessing it was to help them with their upcoming budget as well uh, to do different things. So with that being said, after the service today, you can have as many cases of the hand sanitizer as you want, and then there's one pallet in the back that is the alcohol wipes. Everybody look at me. <laughs> do not. Everybody say, do not. Open the case and take one little bottle. You take the whole case or you take nothing. Do you hear me? Pastor Jay doesn't need a bunch of little hand sanitizer bottles laying all over the church. Be blessed. You have friends and neighbors. You can take as many cases as you want, but don't take one little bottle out of the case and leave the case all ripped open and nobody wants it and then I have to deal with it. Just take it. Take it already. All right? Just take it. Be blessed. Go to your neighbors. And again, many of you use all that stuff. Well, that's more than I need. That's the idea. Do you have a neighbor? Knock on the door. In Jesus' name, I give you hand sanitizer. <laughs> Clean up your act. That's what, it's, that's what it's about. It's way more than any of us. So take it, spread it out in Jesus' name. It's from the Bridge Church. It's from God. Use it as a tool to share your faith. Okay, so there's hand dollies back there. Um, again, take, take as much as you want 
uh, we would be blessed. Also, I want to mention one other thing just really quickly. Just uh, I want to remind all of you that uh, Pastor Jay loves children. I have grandchildren of my own. Uh, hopefully, I get to see them in a couple weeks. I love children. The church loves children. We have kids' ministries going on right now at this service. Everything from the nursery up to the youth group, they've left. And if you're uh, in family and you've decided to keep your, your child in the sanctuary, Lord bless you. We love you. We get it. When they make noise, let me just tell you right up front, we hear them. Okay, we hear them. I'm glad they're in here. We have a quiet room. Uh, we have a foyer you can step out to with closed circuit TV. Please be considerate of those around you. Um, we're blessed that they're in here. It's fine. It's great. But let's don't pretend that they're making all the noise and nobody can hear it. I hear it. Okay, and so do others. So let's don't be distracting to others. Just do your part to help with that. Okay, enough said. Just want to make sure you know, we, we really go out of our way to, to bless and take care of uh, things for our kids. So please use all those to your advantage. Today we're going to be reading from Joshua chapter 1. Um, we do not have it uh, on the projectors today. It won't be there for you. Um, you're going to have to go old school, maybe open your Bible, uh, or even new school, open your app. But there's no new new school on the screen, okay? So you don't have that today, so I would also encourage you, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. I'm going to encourage you that if you want to write down some of these scriptures to uh, refer to later, if that's what you like to do, have your pen and pencil ready, uh, and we'll be doing that. As I begin, I just want to ask how, every, how everyone is doing in light of the current events that are taking place. How many of you know there's a little sickness going around our community right now, our state, community, the world? You may have heard of it. Uh, it's happening right now. And, uh, um, you know, it's been a few weeks since I've given a message. Two weeks ago, by design, I was here at the 9 o'clock service. And the 11 o'clock service, I went upstairs and I was able to uh, help teach uh, the children, your children, by the way, out of the mouth of babes. Does that scare any of you? <laughs> the pastor goes into the classroom with your kids and I get to hear them talk. Uh-oh. Um, anyway, I got to go up that last Sunday, and then I, I popped up into the youth room. And let me just say that we have the greatest children and youth of all. And, and I'm going to make this other statement. We have the greatest teachers of all time. Yes. We do. We're, we're blessed. And by design, I was able to go up and do that. And then last week, uh, I was sick. I, I became ill uh, it all started uh, uh, that following Monday. Hannah, our children's uh, pastor, children's director, she became sick first, so it's her fault. And then, and then Cindy, and then myself. And if you know, Pastor Daniel's not here today, who filled in last week. And then he uh, was sick last week. I know he's doing much better. He's on the mend, but uh, he's at home today. So it kind of went through here uh, at the church. Some of us uh, received it and got sick. And, uh, and uh, how many of you know, uh, that a grown man can cry like a baby when he gets sick. <laughs> See a lot of women's hands going up. I had the aches. I had the body aches. And man, I thought it was over. I was in bed for 36 hours. It was not fun. Many of you know, uh, I've experienced it as well. 
And I uh, was feeling pretty good until yesterday, and, and uh, I, I see the VA. I'm in the uh, veteran. I go to the VA hospital, and they, they have me on a new drug that I started first of this year. I have to uh, give myself an injection twice a month. And they gave me my second one yesterday, and I had side effects, and I wasn't sure if I was going to make it today. But God is good. Uh, hopefully, um, I know this morning I got dizzy a couple times, and I really don't know what I said, so put your seatbelt on. Who knows where we're going? All right? So, <clears throat> anyway, um, where was I? So it's been a while since I've given a message, and hopefully uh, I'll still remember how. I pray God anoints this, anoints me, my lips, and, and you guys are able to receive. And it's with, it's with all that it's with all the illness in mind and, you know, just kind of the current events, hearing that 15% of the stores aren't stocked right now because of the sickness, and then watching yesterday that volcano that erupted out in the uh, Pacific Ocean and all the tsunami alerts, you know, you just kind of can't help but wonder what's going on in our world. It kind of makes you want to maybe just crawl into the closet and go, woes me, right? I hope not. Because that's not what we're called to do as born-again disciples of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, I, I, I want to give a message today. I, I was praying about going through a, a certain book of the Bible. You'll hear more about that. And I've been praying about it. I felt like I was going to start it this week. But Friday, the Lord just changed my whole, uh, whole direction on everything. And I, I felt like I was to give a message, you know, in, in spite of uh, the current events and the things that, that are happening, to give a message on encouragement this morning. How many of you guys would like a little encouragement in spite of everything that's going on? encouragement from God's Word. And so that's what I, I felt led this morning to do. It's a message, a message to remind us that we are not, please hear me this morning, we are not bound, we are not bound in any way by the things of this world. That we as born-again disciples of Jesus are called to overcome the darkness of this world and stand boldly on the promises of God. Okay, to stand boldly on the promises of God. That's who we are. We are uh, victors. You know, we just sang a song. You know, we are victors. We are conquerors. We are not called to go cower in a closet and go, woe's me, what's happening? Okay, that's not who we are as believers. God has given us promises, and we are to stand boldly on this. And I hope, <laughs> I hope, I hope and pray as we examine this, this chapter, this first chapter, the first uh, nine verses in the book of Joshua, that you, hear me, that you will be pumped up to do all that God has called you to do, that you will be strong and courageous. I, I pray that you would look at this as kind of a locker room, a pep talk before, before you go out to play the big game. How many of you know life is a big game? It is. It's the game of life. And how many of you know it's okay to be encouraged? It's okay to be pumped up. It's okay to run out on the field with an attitude that you're going to kick some butt. I said it. It's the medicine. Hang on. But are you with me? I don't know about you, but I need to be encouraged occasionally. And I pray that's why you're here today. To be encouraged. 
And we're going to look at a guy by the name of Joshua. And if he couldn't have been encouraged by what happened in this first chapter, I don't know who else could be. We're going to learn a lot and be encouraged as we look at Joshua chapter 1. Now, before we turn there and we dive into this, this chapter, I'm going to give you a quick history lesson leading up to the beginning of this book. It's important. I, I know most of you, if not all of you, know this history lesson. It's going to be a no-brainer for you. It's a flyby. It's a summary. We're not going into deep detail of this history, but I think it's important that we really grasp and understand where Joshua was at before the Lord speaks to him to encourage him. Okay? So real quickly, about a page and a half of, of a little history lesson here. Around 21 B.C., 21 B.C., 21 uh, before Christ, about 700 years before the time of Joshua, God spoke to a, a man by the name of Abram, who would be called Abraham. He lived in Mesopotamia. God made promises to him, promises that were passed on to his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. He promised that he would have a special relationship with the descendants of these men, and that they would be given the land of Canaan, which is current-day Israel. The three men, the patriarchs, Abram, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they lived this nomadic lifestyle throughout Canaan. They, they lived in tents. They, they, just, they were uprooted all the time. They were nomads, right? That's how they, they, lived. Uh, they lived their life, these three patriarchs. The 12, uh, but the 12 sons of Jacob moved uh, to Egypt in a time of a terrible famine. Many of you know the story. Joseph, they sold their brother Joseph into slavery who was sent to Egypt. And he was the forerunner before the, the, the Israelites came there, right? We know that Joseph set, God used Joseph and he set everything up. He took something that was meant for evil and he turned it for good. I think that's a song we sing. Okay, so these 12 tribes uh, of these, these 12, they, there's a great famine in the land, and they go down to Egypt. There's a family of 70. They, they start out as a family of 70 when they go down, and they're there for, I don't know, they're there for a little season, about 400 years. Okay, they're there for 400 years, and they became a family of millions. So in 400 years, they produced, and they made a bigger family, and they're down in Egypt. In Egypt, they became slaves, so God, remembering his promise to Abram, he sent Moses to lead the people to what? To lead them out of Egypt, to lead them into freedom, to lead them to the promised land. The land that he had promised, that God had promised Abram to lead them out. It was through the many miracles we know uh, in Egypt that Pharaoh, he finally released the Israelites. He, they, he let the people go. And then this great exodus had began. They had gone out. They moved out into the desert to worship their God. You know, they get their backs up against the Red Sea. And God does this, you know, this little miracle where he parts the Red Sea on dry ground and they all walk through. You know, just a little thing, right? The world would have you believe that. But it was an awesome miracle that God did. Okay, so he, he delivers. There's this great exodus, and the Egyptians or the Israelites, they come out of Egypt. And then Moses, he leads the people down to Mount Sinai, where God gave them the law and showed them how to love him and other people. So he gives them this law. 
the Ten Commandments, how to live their lives. But, but because the, the Exodus generation, meaning this generation that had been in Egypt, went out into the desert, they were always grumbling. They were grumblers. Why did you bring us out here in the desert to die? We should have stayed in Egypt where everything was fine. And God had had enough. Right? Here's they're giving them the manna. He parts the Red Sea. Water comes out of the rock. They complain about the manna. He gives them quail to eat. It says 40 years, none of their shoes even wore out. So God's taking care of them. They still complain because they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to their old lifestyle. So what does God say? He says, you're going to spend 40 years and this generation is going to pass away. 40 years in the desert. So this takes us up. That's a quick history lesson. And here we are now. We find this, this new generation, this generation of Israelites, a, a new generation. They trust God, and they are fully committed to obey and take hold of what has been promised to them. So they stand uh, at the precipice, they, they stand at the shore of the Jordan River. They're looking into the promised land. They've had spies come back, 12 spies. Ten gave a bad report, which, by the way, they didn't get to go in. Two gave a good report, Caleb and Joshua, who God's going to speak to. They come back and give this report. There's grapes the size of melons. There's uh, all this wonderful stuff in this promised land. But, oh, there's people that we are like grasshoppers in their sight. So there's this bad report. But Joshua and Caleb says, let's go get it. Right? So they get to go in the land. The others don't. So here they are. They've got this good report. They're standing, this new generation, and they're, they're ready to go. This is where we are in the history of man. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you, and I thank you, God, for our time. I pray you open our hearts and minds to receive from your living word, God, that none of us would leave here the same as we came. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 9, and we'll refer back to it as we go through our message today. It starts out this way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Why? Why would God want to tell Joshua that Moses, my servant, is dead? We know in, in it, I believe it was Deuteronomy chapter 34, we know that uh, Moses was only going to be allowed to see the promised land. He couldn't go into the promised land because he disobeyed God. Instead of speaking to a rock to bring water out, he struck it because he was so frustrated with the Israelites. Anybody ever get frustrated? You just want to smite stuff, don't you? That's what Moses did. And so God said, because you did that, you can't go into the promised land. You can see it. And now he's telling Joshua, he's telling him, hey, Moses, my servant, is dead. Why would he have to do that? Well, Moses kind of had this, this issue where he would wander off for 40 days and 40 nights. And he would meet with the Lord, and then he'd come back, and his face would shine with the glory of God. And, you know, and he had, this, he had this habit. He liked to hang out with God. 
And so I think that if the Lord didn't tell Joshua that Moses wasn't coming back, they probably would still be in the desert waiting for Moses to come back. Okay, so he had to tell him, look, Moses is dead. He ain't coming back, Joshua. You the man. He ain't coming. He's not coming back. All right, and we know the Bible says that the Lord uh, took Moses and Moses passed away, and the Bible says, and God buried Moses. Are you thankful that God didn't tell man where he buried Moses? You know why? We would have a shrine there. People would flock there to worship the burial site of Moses. God knows that about us. So he says, you know what? You guys don't need to know where Moses is buried. So he tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. You the man, get ready. And then he goes on to tell this to Joshua. Now then, now that Moses, my servant, is dead, now then, you and all these people, this new generation, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will, he's going to fulfill his promise to Abram. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great, um, <clears throat> excuse me, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Would you not just love to hear the Lord tell you this? You the man, Moses is gone. You're going across into the promised land, and he's telling you all this. And he goes on. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, Joshua. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. There's the promise. Verse 7, he says it again. Be strong and courageous, or excuse me, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. In verse 9, he says it again. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Where's the Lord going to be with him? Wherever he goes. That is quite a promise. There's a lot of promises going on here in these nine verses. A lot of promises. Now, let me say something that is uh, pretty easy to say, and I think most of us will agree with it. Promises are easy to make, but are hard to keep, aren't they? They are. Honey, I, I promise I'll take the trash out the minute it gets full. And what do, what do us men do? Not quite full yet. I'd pick on you ladies, but I know better. Right? 
Promises are easy to make, but can be hard to keep. For instance, there was a man named Russell Edward uh, Herman. Okay, I want you to remember that name. I'm going to refer to it a few times as I speak today. There was a man named Russell Edward Herman who left trillions of dollars, this is a true story, trillions of dollars to thousands of people that he'd never met. Never met. What was the catch? Well, Russell didn't have trillions of dollars. He was just a simple poor carpenter. While the, the wild will of the late Russell never paid off for his beneficiar, beneficiaries, it certainly caused much conversation, especially if you were one of the beneficiaries. Wow, I don't know this cat, but he just gave me trillions of dollars, right? It certainly caused a lot of conversation. There was a, a tiny little town, an Ohio River town of Cave in the Rock, this place. Herman left this town $2.41 billion to them. Cave, the Cave in the Rock mayor, Albert Keg, had this to say, it's an odd thing to happen, isn't it? While the will would never pay off, the mayor had no trouble, and neither would I, he had no trouble imagining many ways to spend the money. 2.41 trillion. I think I could figure out a few ways to spend it. How about you? You see, Russell had great intentions. He promised wealth he did not have, but he lacked the resources needed to make them a reality. Why would I tell you this? Here's the deal this morning. Here's the deal this morning when it, when it comes to promises. You see, when God makes a promise, when God makes a promise, he has the resources, he has the integrity, and he has the exact timing for his promise to take place. He is more than able. He is more than able. He's not a Herman Russell. Okay, and you have to believe that about God. Well, God, God's making promises here. Will he keep them? Yes! He will keep them. Today I want to remind everyone of the fact that God's promises, his promises, they give us the courage we need to be conquerors. Just like Joshua. Just like Joshua and the people of Israel. So with that in mind, with that in mind this morning, how many promises do you think are in the Bible, in the Word of God? How many promises do you think are in here? You think maybe there's a hundred? Perhaps a hundred? Maybe a thousand? Maybe ten thousand promises in the Word of God? Well, there's a guy by the name of Dr. Reginald Dunlap, and he has done some studies, some research, and he says there are approximately 30 thousand promises in the Bible. 30,000 promises in the Bible. I want you to listen to some of the verses. I'm going to read all 30,000. Are you ready? You had breakfast. Don't worry about lunch. I want you to listen to a few of the verses that declare that God is faithful to his promises. Okay, listen to this. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a Herman. All right, in our illustration, he's not a Herman Russell. That's not what it says, but it does say this. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. 
Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Joshua 21, 45. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. What do you mean? It's my timing, God, not yours. No, it's not. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. How many of you guys use that word in your daily conversation? Unswervingly. (laughs) The Lord is unswervingly. He holds fast. So if God is faithful in his promises, and there are over 30,000 promises in the Bible, What are some of those promises he makes? We're going to look at some of those this morning. These are some of the promises that he makes. God has said that he will do a number of things. So here are just a few. God promised, I will be with you. When I was at home Friday, Thursday night, Friday, 36 hours in bed, whining like a little baby, (laughs) sick, God was with me. Didn't feel like it, but he was with me, right? You see, he's with us. God will be with you. To Joshua, God said, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the Great Commission, Jesus said this, Matthew 28, 20, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Does that sound like a promise that God's not going to keep? Does that sound like God is not going to be with us? You see, that's, that's what God does for, for his people. People that are born-again disciples of Jesus. He sticks closer than a brother when we go through our darkest moments. He won't leave us alone. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's a promise. God is not a liar, you guys. He's not a Herman. He's not a liar. He's not going to leave you. It's not going to happen. God has also promised, I will strengthen you. Aren't you thankful for that? He told Joshua, do not be terrified. I will be with you. Think of the things that Joshua was about to face as he goes into the promised land. God didn't tell Joshua, you're going to march into the promised land and everybody's just going to lay everything down and it's going to be a cakewalk, Joshua. The first thing he had to do was get everybody pumped up, ready to go in. They went to the Jordan River. All right, I have millions of people here, Lord, logistically, all this stuff. I got to get it across the Jordan River. What does the Lord say? Okay, fine, parts the Jordan River, away they go. They come up to the first city, they come up to Jericho, the big huge walls. Joshua was probably thinking, how are we ever going to do anything with these people? What does the Lord say? I want you to march around it for seven days. And the seventh day, what does the Lord do? He causes the walls to fall down. 
Why? Because the Lord strengthens Joshua. First of all, he says, I will be with you. And then he strengthens him. It's not by my power, or it's not, yeah, it's not by my power or strength, right? It's the Lord. It's by the strength of the Lord that we're able to do anything. And this is what he's teaching Joshua, and this is what he's teaching us. I like Isaiah 41.10. It says, do not fear, for I am with you. Who is with you? God is with you. It says, do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Paul went on to say this in Philippians 4, 13. I can do nothing through him who gives me strength. Oh, that's right. I can do everything. I can do everything. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And I know that's because of God's strength that I am, I am who I am and I do, do what I do. There's no way I could even do half of what I do on my own. And I know it's true for many of you because he strengthens us. Another thing God said he would do is this. I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my spirit. The promise was spoken by the prophets for centuries, but was finally realized on the day of Pentecost when the church began. You see, God promised the Holy Spirit uh, to the people who would put their faith in Jesus. Well, how do I know that? Because the Bible tells me, because I read it, I understand it, right? The Holy Spirit will be placed in those who put their faith in Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But Ephesians, Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 13, it says this. <coughs> Excuse me. And you also were inclined in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, having believed in this good news, the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Isn't it awesome that God puts his spirit in us? He puts it in us to comfort us, to strengthen us, to lead us, to guide us. It's a promise for all who accept the gift of the cross. Right? You admit you're a sinner, that you need a Savior. You ask Jesus into your heart. Instantaneously, you are marked with a seal. The Holy Spirit is in you to convict you, to guide you, to lead you, to strengthen you, to give you boldness, to be his witness in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let me paraphrase that. In all of Idaho Falls, in all of Idaho, in all of the United States, and to the ends of the earth, you are emboldened to be his witness. Pretty awesome. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Convicts you, guides you, strengthens you. I want to mention one final promise. It's this, I will come again. John chapter 14, verses 1 and 3, Jesus is speaking here and he says this to his disciples. 
He says this. Think about just this one sentence in the times that we live in right now. Just think of this one sentence. When, when you think things are continuing to turn south and you want to be encouraged, if you don't remember anything else, remember John chapter 14, verse, verse uh, 1, this one sentence. Do not let your hearts be troubled. There it is. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am not lying. This is a promise he's saying. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if you go, excuse me, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Thank you, Jesus. This is a promise, church. This is a promise. Can you stand on that promise? No matter what the world wants to tell you, where is his coming that you Christians speak of so much? Where is his coming? Well, it's coming. The Bible says only God the Father knows. So I don't know because I'm not God. But he's coming. It's going to rapture the believers, right? We're out of here. There's going to be some tribulation. And the rapture is not the second coming. People get confused. And in the second coming, he comes with the saints with him. And Jesus, is, he's, uh, he's going to be riding on this little pink pony. And he's going to be coming down. Is that what the Bible says? Are you reading your Bible? What does the Bible say? He's going to be riding on a white horse with fire in his eyes. And the saints, this is why I believe pets are in heaven, because we're going to be on horses. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but he's coming back. Jesus has made a promise right here, you guys. He's made a promise for all those that choose to believe. This is a promise of eternal life, and Jesus is coming back, and he will take us to live with him forever. That's a promise. Don't be swayed by the world and things that are happening in the world. God's still on the throne. God's still got this. He's going to see you through it. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know what's going to happen to you. I don't know if the Lord's going to take you home early. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to pass from this life. I don't know, but he's got it. Okay, he's preparing a place for you that's going to be much better than this place. The Bible says we are pilgrims passing through. This is not our home. Don't get attached to the stuff of this world because you're not taking it with you. Naked you came into this world and naked you will leave this world. I know that's a scary image, but that's what's going to (laughs) happen. Now, by no means are these... the four and only promises of God. As I said, we could list hundreds of promises of God this morning, but hopefully these, these four that I've mentioned uh, will excite you, excite us, and cause us to be great conquerors for his kingdom and his glory as we walk out our faith in such a time as this, just like Joshua walked out his faith in such a time as that, as he led the Israelites. It's the same way for us. We are conquerors. We are in the promised land. 
This leads me into my next point this morning is how do we receive God's promises? We could talk about his promises. We could talk about what some of them are. But I don't think I'd be doing you any favor this morning if we didn't talk about how do we receive God's promises. So we're going to take just a few more minutes and we're going to look at that. Because I want you to leave here feeling uh, that you can receive his promises, that you are his promise, that you can walk in his promises and be walking out of here, like I said, pumped up. Right? How do we receive God's promise? Let me share with you four ways. First, we need to know what the Bible actually says. All right? We need to know what it actually says. We're going to turn back to our main text again. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It said, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. This is, this is the book that Joshua and the Israelites had. They didn't have the whole Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the law. They had what God had given them so far. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Meditate on it. Be careful to do everything, and then you will be prosperous and successful. There's a story told by a little girl who pointed to the the family Bible that stood untouched on the bookshelf, and she asked her mom, she asked, whose book is that? And startled by the little girl's question, the mother answered, why, honey, don't you know that? That is God's book. With eyes wide open, the girl replied, then don't you think we should give it back to him because no one around here ever reads it? Sobering, out of the mouth of babes. See, we have to understand, we cannot know what God's promises are unless we hear his voice in the pages of the Bible, and this is how God speaks to us. Well, I never hear from God. Are you reading your Bible? Well, I don't. Well, then you're not going to hear from God. This is how he speaks to us. God answers my prayers all the time. I'll be praying about something, and I'll get a scripture in my head. I'll go there, and it'll answer my prayer. Sometimes it's not the answer I want. You have to read it, people. You have to meditate on it. You have to read it. He speaks to us. And I believe it's why so many people walk away from Jesus, because they don't read their Bibles. I believe many are, are uh, assume that God has made certain promises to them when in fact he has not. You see, they might assume he has promised them great physical health, a great job, or even a great, a great marriage. I shared this with the first service. I've heard this time and time and time again over my 20-some years of pastoring now. Yeah, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, that's great. You know, I tried that Jesus thing once and, and nothing changed. Why didn't anything change? I don't know. I asked Jesus in my heart. Well, did you change? Well, no. I'm not supposed to change because if I ask Jesus in my heart, then I'm forgiven, right? And, and then he has to forgive me so I can just keep living the way I want to live. But none of my circumstances ever change. Well, you probably should read your Bible because that's not the way it works. 
You have to ask Jesus into your life, but you have to put an effort out to change, to become like Jesus. You need to read your Bible. You need to obey. You need to apply things in the Bible into your life so you can live the abundant life. And that still doesn't mean by any means, it doesn't mean that once you become this born-again believer doing everything right, reading the Bible, doing everything right, it doesn't mean that you have an insurance policy against severe trials and pain in your life. How many believers in here have been believers for years that have lived a perfect kumbaya life and you have not had any problems at all once you became a believer? Raise your hand high. Why? Because the Bible never told you that would happen, did it? Jesus said, in this life, you will have troubles. The Bible says it will rain on the just as well as the unjust, meaning we're going to have just as many problems as anybody else. But I can tell you, after being a believer for the many years I've been a believer, when I go through trials and tribulations, it's much better having Jesus with me, strengthening me, and sticking close to me than it was when I didn't know Jesus, when it was miserable. And listen. You persevere through those. That's what causes you to grow your strength in your relationship with Jesus because you see him working in your life. If everything was perfect when you became a believer, why would you want to grow and become more like Jesus and be challenged to know about God? The trials and the tribulations is what stretches you and what grows you. Don't turn from them. Turn into them knowing God is with you. So what then does God promise us in terms of this? Let me sum it up to you, this part. See, he's done this. He has promised us himself, and that is all we need. He'll never leave you or forsake you, and he will strengthen you. He will be with you. That's all you need. You may not understand. He's with you. Dive in deep. Second, to receive God's promises, we must wait patiently. Um, how many of you guys like to wait patiently? How many patient people in here? Any patient people? Right? All right, I'm the most patient person in the world. And I don't, I don't lie either. Again, back to the story of Joshua. God told Joshua in, in chapter 1, verse 9. He said, have I not commanded you be very, or excuse me, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Do not be impatient, Joshua. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, how many of you get discouraged when you have to wait for something? Huh? I get discouraged. I shared this in first service. I get discouraged when I go to the self-checkout. I love the self-checkout now. I remember when they first came out, being older, I was scared of it. I'm a, you know, but I like going in there now because it's fast, right? And I like to beat the machine, right? Try to scan it before it can process it all, you know, and, and then take it out and put it in my basket. And it says, are you going to bag all this or whatever? I just like to mess with it. And then when I'm done, I put my card in really quick and it's still waiting for the payment. And it asks me all those questions. And it's so stinking slow. <laughs> Am I right? And then to make matters worse, if you go to the checkout where the, the person actually helps you, remember back in the day when the, the card slider, how many remember when they first came out with the card slider, right? 
First came out, I loved it. You could slide that thing. You didn't have to write a check. It didn't ask any questions back in the day. It just slid it, you were done. Now it asks you, oh my goodness, do you want to give to this? Do you want to give to that? Do you want any cash back? Do you want this or that? And you're like, just paid for it already. Right? I get impatient. And it's still quicker than it used to be. How many of you remember the day when you gave them your credit card and they went, shh, shh. But you see how impatient we can be? I mean, we want things now, this quick, that, right? I want it my way. And I got one more to share. Uh, If I'm going to share my grievances. (sighs) You know when you go to the drive-in restaurant, like Burger King or McDonald's or Arby's, right? And you got that person in front of you. And they're trying to order off the menu that hasn't changed in 20 years. <laughs> Get a whopper and move on. <laughs> uh, what do you have? What do you mean? What do you have? It's, it's Burger King. Whopper, whopper, junior, whopper with cheese, chicken nuggets. What? You ever get behind those people? And then I like to show off because I pull right up. I want a number one, super size, and I'm done. I pull right up behind them, and I want to say, that's how you do it. (laughs) You know what? I don't know about how you feel, but I feel good. (laughs) You guys feel like you're in a support group today? (laughs) Can you, can you imagine, though, seriously, can you imagine how discouraged Abram must have gotten as he waited for God to fulfill his promise for his son? If you read that story about Abram, Abraham, you know, and Sarah, you know, God promised him, you know, your descendants are going to be his number as the sand on the seashore. You know, I'm going to bless you, bless you as a nation. And he tells, he tells Abram, he tells him this. And from the time God gave him this promise, he waited 25 years until he was 100 years old. To become a dad between God's original promise and the birth of Isaac. In fact, he got so impatient waiting, his wife Sarah brought him a concubine and said, Here, have a child with him because I don't know if God's going to keep his promise. God kept his promise. You have to be patient. Have you waited that long for God to fulfill a promise in your life? Keep waiting. Don't be impatient. Don't rush God. Let him do his own work in his own time. The third observation of receiving God's promise is living in obedience to God's will. There's your second favorite thing. Everybody loves the word patience and everybody loves the word obedience. Joshua chapter 1 verse 7, it says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. God is telling him, be careful to obey. Don't turn to the right or left, and you will be successful wherever you go. Be careful to obey. Hebrews 10.36 teaches that obedience is a key to obtaining God's promise. 
Okay, listen to this. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So persevere. Persevere and you will receive what he has promised. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Often God's promises are conditional. A lot of people don't like to hear what I'm going to say right now. Because a lot of people have been taught different, different things. When I, when I say that word, God's promises are conditional, a lot of you instantaneously probably go, well, Pastor Jay's going to talk about works. I'm not talking about works. We have to fulfill our responsibilities before we can receive the rewards of God. Now, I want you to take a, let's take God's greatest promise, for example. I'm going to talk about salvation through Jesus. God does not give the salvation of, of his son to us automatically. He doesn't do it. Okay, I, I shared in the first service. I grew up at home, if my mom's watching, hi mother on social media, I grew up in a home where my, my mother told me I was a Christian. I went in the Air Force and I even had Christian put on my dog tag. I think I was proud. All right, why not? Was I a Christian, you guys? Was I a born-again disciple of Jesus? I hadn't repented. I hadn't recognized that I needed a Savior. I didn't ask Jesus into my, into my life. So was I a Christian? But wait a minute. If my mama said I was a Christian, why didn't God say, well, if your mama said so, you be one? Doesn't my mom pull any clout at all? You see, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen like that, right? Because God wants people to accept him because they choose to love him. So it is conditional. It is conditional. That means you have to recognize you're a sinner that God, you're, you're not with God because God is holy and just. He knows no sin. You're a sinner, and you need a way back to God. So you recognize you're a sinner, and you repent. You say, I'm going to do, do a 180. I'm going to walk away from my sin. I'm going to grow. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to grow. I'm going to walk away from my sin. And then I'm going to ask, I'm going to do these things, and I'm going to ask Jesus to come to my heart, and I'm going to accept the gift of the cross, the gift of grace, and I'm going to be forgiven. It's conditional. It's not automatic. I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about being sincere of who you are and why you need Jesus. And when you do those things, yes, you're forgiven. You are saved. You have salvation. You do good works out of gratitude to what God's done for you. Before he becomes ours, we must admit we are in need of a Savior and then trust and obey him. I'm sorry if that hurt some of your feelings, but that's the way it is. A final way that we receive God's promises, we live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. There's a definition of faith. Faith, faith is being sure of what we hope for. What do you hope for? You have to be sure of what you hope for. I hope for and believe in and stand on the promises of God. 
Okay, so I hope for that, I believe in that, and certain of what I do not see. I am certain that there is a living God, and I'm certain that he's coming back. So I'm certain that's, that's your faith, being hope of and certain. Our trust in, in God is the key, right? Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, without that hope or that certainty of what we do not see, and without faith, it is impossible, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, look, there's another condition. You will be rewarded, conditional, you will be rewarded if you earnestly seek him. You want to be rewarded by God? Say, I want to earnestly see. I want to read my Bible. I want to apply the principles of the Bible to my life. I want to seek God. I want to be more like his son Jesus in word and deed. I want to do my best to live a life that pleases God and wins people to heaven. If you earnestly seek him, the Bible says you will be rewarded. I don't know what that means. It doesn't always mean material possessions, but you will be rewarded. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 7, Paul states that we walk by faith, not by sight, right? So we walk by being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, not by sight. So it's not a feeling. It's not by all the things that are going on around us. We have faith. By faith, as hard as it is, we trust in the invisible God and we stand on his promises. I'm going to have Stevie come. And as we close this morning, I want to ask all of you this question. It's a lengthy question, but I want to ask it. What promise from God do you need? What promise from God do you need to stand on this morning that will help you to be strong and courageous as you walk out your faith journey in this new year? It's still January. What promise from God do you need to stand on this morning that will help you be strong and courageous as God was telling Joshua and as he's surely telling you and me today, be strong and courageous as you walk out your faith journey this year? Maybe it is uh, one, it's the one from Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The promise of peace in a world of turmoil. Right in the eye of the storm, in the eye of everything that's happening around you, can you stand beyond all comprehension with the peace of God and let people see, wow, how, how can you have such peace? Well, because... The promise of God is he will never leave me, forsake me. He's going to strengthen me. He's going to see me through this. Is that the promise you need? Do you need some peace right now? Do you need some peace? Because God promises he'll give you peace. Perhaps you need the promise of victory over temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Look, we all live in the flesh. We all are tempted, right? We are tempted. God is saying, when you are tempted, I'm giving you a way out. Look for the way out. Look for the way out. 
Don't keep falling back into besetting sin. I pray that if you've been a believer, a born-again disciple of any length of time, that you are not still dealing with temptations when you first became a believer as you are possibly now because you are growing spiritually. You're not perfect, but hopefully you're past some of that stuff. If you're not and you're still struggling, find somebody to hold you accountable. Pray. Find some help. Seek for help. Because God has given you a way out. He's not a liar. He's given you this promise. What's the way out? Turn some stuff off if that's what causes you to start to slip and be tempted. Do whatever it takes. Or maybe you require the wisdom to deal with the trials of your life. Right? James chapter 1 verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You need wisdom? You need help trying to make a decision in your life? The Bible just says to ask for wisdom, and it will be given generously. Be patient and wait for the answer. God wants us to have discernment. His Holy Spirit is in you. Pray for the wisdom. Maybe you're here this morning and are, are the victim of slander, divorce, financial trouble, or even disease. You fill in the blank. You may wonder if anything good can come out of it. I want you to stand on this promise. 1 Peter 5.10, And the God of all grace, aren't you thankful for his grace, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, from the, from the steadfast. So stand on the promise of God. He's not going to leave you, forsake you. He's going to see you through it. Last one. Perhaps you're shouldering a tremendous burden of guilt. I can deal with this over the years. This has been one of the ones I've dealt with a lot. You would give anything to wipe out your past sins. Instead of giving something, just receive this promise. 1 John chapter 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful and just to me. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God never intends us to walk around with guilt. You're forgiven. We confess to one another. We confess our sins are thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. Our sins are, are far away as east is from the west from God. Please understand whatever it is that we need. God is able to keep his promises. Do you believe that? He keeps his promises, church. God is not a liar. He's not slow. His timing is perfect. Do you believe it? You see, when you and I learn to trust him according to his promises, our lives will never 
be the same. Please stand with me. Lord, as we close our time this morning, I can't help but wonder if there's still some watching or still some here in this place this morning that are thinking it's hard for anybody to keep all their promises. And Lord, who we are as human beings, I would agree with that. It's hard. But God, we stand in awe of who you are. You're a great big God. You've given many promises, and Lord, you keep your promises. You keep your promises. God, I pray each one of us would just go after those promises, Lord, that we would seek to receive all the promises you have for us. That we would know what your Bible says, your living, breathing word, Lord. That we would be patient. We would live in obedience. We would live by faith. I pray that you would grow each one of us, challenge each one of us. We just thank you for our time this morning. I pray that you would go with your people as we leave this place. Lord, that we would be pumped up, that we would be encouraged as we step out into a world that needs to hear about you wherever we go. And we thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.